to the children's church. The rest of us, we're going to chase a few verses through the Bible until we get to our our main text, and that is going. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter six, and uh, just to kind of set the uh, context or set uh, uh, the thought process for the sermon this morning here. We we understand that the Christian life is a battle. It is a struggle. And uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, it says for verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, if that isn't the... Uh, Headlines of yesterday's newspaper and tomorrow's and next week's. Uh, there is, uh, we, we have to understand the real battle is not with the things that we see. It's within the world of the unseen. And we come down here to, um, uh, well, let's just read verses 13 and 14 as well. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. I'm sorry, we're going to end right there. Then it goes into the armor of God. And, of course, we've been through this several times, and, and that's not the scope of this morning's message, but just to touch on... Uh, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, the real battle, the real work of the Christian warrior is prayer. That is the thing that we can do. And we, we need to be reminded, prayer does not change God. God does not need changing. Prayer changes us. And, and the battles that we face, enemy number one is the reflection in the mirror. It is you. It is ourself. We have to constantly battle against self. And I want you to turn with me to John chapter 21, the last chapter of the Gospel of John. As we follow, I don't think that this is something new, but I just want to present it once again, give you the Scripture, the the Christian warfare, the Christian life is a battle. It is warfare. It is serious. It's something that we must be engaged in. But I want to challenge you. It's a whole lot easier to fight somebody else's battles than it is to fight your own. Anybody found that true? I mean, we can look at what someone else is going through and, oh, it's just crystal clear. All you need to do is this, this, and this, and problem solved. Well, there, there is a Bible word for someone who fights other people's battles. Does anybody know what it is? It starts with the word be. It's called a busybody. 
That, that is the Bible word for someone that fights another's battles. How many of you like busy bodies? I don't see hands going up. How many of you are busy bodies? No, don't raise your hand on that one. That's what the altar call at the end of the service is for. Amen. Uh, listen, no, no one invites someone else to fight their battles. And when we really get down to it, your relationship with God is yours. Uh, the job of the pastor, the way I like to put it, is I'm a signpost. Uh, the Word of God, the, the job of the preacher is to bring forth the Word so that we can know and be assured that the direction that we're headed in is the direction that the Bible gives us. And there is this thing of bearing one another's burdens, and we understand that, but there there comes a point in time where each one of us has to fight our own battle, or we lose out on our ability to serve the Lord. And in John chapter 21 here, we got Peter... And Peter's one of my favorite people in the Bible because he's just so human. Amen. And, and Jesus tells him in verse 18 how he is going to die for the cause of Christ. Verse 19, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, follow me. What Jesus was saying to Peter was, you're going to die serving me. And it's not going to be a pleasant death. It's not going to be a death that you're going to choose. And, and, and uh, lots of people have come up with all kinds of, uh, of traditions and things that they were going to crucify Peter. And Peter said, I will not be crucified as my Lord. And they crucified him upside down. We, we, we do not know uh, that that is a tradition. What we do know is that Peter did give his life serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, follow me. What he was saying, Peter, is you're going to follow me till the day of your death. You're going to follow me until life is over. Those are some, that, that's pretty solemn, is it not? I mean, as Jesus is looking at Peter, he just said, here's how you're going to die. Follow me. Now, here's what Peter did. Verse 20, then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. I want to title the sermon this morning, Fight Your Battle, or Fight the Battle That You Face. And, and I want us to go to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel, chapter 10. Now, one of the, there's a lot of characters 
in the Bible. There, there's a lot of different men, and it's easy to get their names mixed up sometimes. But I'll tell you, there's one guy that nobody really mixes up his name, and that's Joab. Uh, Joab was David's general. Joab was David's number one man. He was the leader of the mighty man. Joab was very unusual individual, wasn't he? Uh, Joab did not end as well as he could have or should have, but here in chapter 10, we have a very unusual story, and we'll try to get a little bit of the story, but I would like for us to work our way through the text and, and then go back and see if we can make some applications here and, and, and get some encouragement. It, it is easy to get weary in the battle. It's easy to fight someone it's easier to fight someone else's battles than it is to fight your own. It's easy to take our attention off of the things that God has put in front of us. Maybe I should just word it this way. How many of you have ever wished you were somewhere else? Almost all of us, haven't we? And uh, I'll tell you, Joab, before this story's over, is wishing he was somewhere else. He, he was wishing there was another way out. And so we start here in verse 1, and it said, It came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanun his son reigned in his place. And, and we have David trying as the new... Uh, newly installed king of Israel. David had a seven-year period where he was king just over the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and then, uh, actually just Judah, and then it all began to, to work in, and, and he became king over all of Israel, and he began to uh, establish himself, and the king of Ammon died. David knew him. Uh, there's some connection here that the king of Moab or the king of Ammon may have uh, had some relation there. And when David was hiding from Saul, he, he took his uh, mother and father and his family into the land of Moab to protect them from Saul. And he died. Hanan died. And as David thought it would be a good thing, a gesture, he sent an embassade to the funeral of the king of Ammon, it was a goodwill gesture. It was something that he was doing to try to show his kindness and his affection for the king that had helped him when he was in distress. How many of you know what happened? Didn't go very well. The king of Ammon had some servants, and I'll tell you, hatred is not a new thing in the Middle East. It's not a new thing in the world, but these peoples in the Middle East, have it's not generations, it's millennia. It's thousands and thousands of years. And so they disrespected as much as they possibly could the men that David sent and treated them shamefully and sent them away. They cut off half of their beards and they cut their garments off so that they could not appear in public without great embarrassment. And then when they realized that they had insulted Israel, they decided that 
there was going to be war. That was just the kind of man that David was. And so they hired mercenaries out of Syria to help them in the battle. Now, here's David. He's upset. But when your person treats your people like they were here and then hires mercenaries, let's go to verse 6. And when the children of Ammon saw they stank before David, isn't that a nice way to put it? Uh, we still talk about that and use those same words today, do we not? And it says, The children of Ammon sent and hired, of the, hired the Syrians of Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 footmen, and of King Mecca, 1,000 men, and of Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now, you got 20,000, another 1,000, and another 12,000, 33,000 soldiers. Uh, this is not a scribal error. If you got one of them newfangled Bibles, that's what they say. But these were armies, large armies. Uh, these were armies meant for invasion and meant for warfare. And, and when David heard about it, verse 7, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. Now, if you've studied the mighty men of David very much, you know that there was about 37 that actually went by name on the list of the mighty men. But they, each one of those mighty men actually had a, uh, a group of men that followed him. And so there was, this was a, a fairly large group of soldiers, but nowhere near 32,000. There may have been six or 8,000 men altogether. These were David's uh, ready standing army. If he was going to fight a major engagement, the call would have to go throughout all the nation of Israel, and it would take time for them to gather, and they would gather at the camp. But this was an emergency. He didn't have time. And so he sends Joab and the mighty men and all the hosts that followed those mighty men with them, and they get to Ammon. They get to the capital city. And guess what happens? Verse 8. And the children of Ammon came out and put the battle in array at the entering in of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and Ishtab and Makkah were by themselves in the field. Now here's the first part. We have all of this trading of insults. It gets to the point where there is going to be danger. If David didn't do something, this army would be marching on the farms and the undefended parts of his nation. He knew that something had to be done. And so, in an emergency situation, Joab sounds the trumpet. The mighty men arm themselves and they are traveling through the night. And they get to the capital of Ammon, but they don't know. They have the entire army of the children of Ammon in the city and 33,000 Syrians hiding outside the city. Now, how do you hide 33,000 soldiers? 
Someone said, very carefully. Well, I, I don't know how you do that, but they accomplished it, and Joab walks into the trap. As he approaches the gates of the city, all of a sudden he turns around and he sees the Syrian army behind him and the children of Ammon in front of him. Could I challenge you, this is not a good place to be. Uh, Joab walked into the trap. He didn't see it coming. He, he wasn't paying attention. Apparently, David, and, and there was intelligence that these Syrians had been hired. This is why Joab had been sent out. And, and Joab walked into the trap. Now, what do you do when you find yourself in a trap like this? Now, look at verse 9. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him, before and behind. Now, let's read that again. When Joab saw that the front of the battle was against him, before and behind, he chose all the choice men of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians, and the rest of the people he delivered into the hand of Abishai his brother, that he might put them in array against the children of Ammon. And he said, If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Be of good courage, and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Now, Joab picks some strange words here. He says, be of good courage and let us play the men. Now, we, we hear those words and say, wait a minute, this isn't a game. No, Joab knew exactly what he was saying. He said, we've got a battle that's going Behind us, in front of us, humanly speaking, we have no hope. But if today is the day that I'm going to die, I'm going to die like a man. And I want every one of you, as he's talking to his soldiers, I want every one of you, if today is the day that you die, I want us to die like men. And then he says, let God have as he worded there. He says, let the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Now, the point I want to make was, if Joab could have wished himself anywhere else, I think he probably would have. You agree with me on that? I mean, this is not the place that you really want to find yourself. This was a reflection on some carelessness on Joab's part, honestly and truly. It was not that he could not have found those 33,000 soldiers. You cannot hide a troop that big in, in this area here. It was that he just expected the battle to, to run the normal 
way things ran. And when he got to the city, he expected everybody to be there. Now he's there. He's got children of Ammon in front and the Syrians behind. Either group outnumbered him in multiples. So he was two or three to one in the city. And again, possibly as many as three or four to one from the Syrians who were trained mercenaries. They were the the soldiers of fortune of their day. And Joab does something that's not usually considered a very wise thing when you're facing a larger army. He divided his army into smaller parts. And he took the most valiant men and he said, we're going to fight the Syrians. And this is not a slight upon the men that were put under Abishai as not being uh, uh, valiant and great soldiers. But how many of you have ever read the record of David's mighty men? I mean, those are some pretty amazing accomplishments. The chief took on 800 men by himself. And when he was done, he was the only one left standing. Another one had fought 300 all by himself. Two of them had stood together back to back in a little field of lentils and held off an entire division of Philistine army. These were some... We live in the world of action hero movies. Could I, could I just say something about that? Dumb. Uh, they're, they're, I, I know it looks cool when these guys fight off 25 guys all by... But that's, that's not... David, and, David didn't have script writers for the mighty men. Uh, There weren't movie cameras with special effects. I mean, this was real battle and these guys had tested themselves. And Joab divided his uh, army and he sent half of it against the Ammonites. You see, the devil's, the world's greatest tactic, we're talking about fighting the Christian fight, fight, living the Christian life is illustrated by warfare. The devil's greatest tactic is intimidation. I wonder how much backslapping and laughing and joking at Joab and the mighty men's expense were had the night before the battle. Boy, is he going to be surprised when he sees all of us standing out. They're just going to cower and fall down. They're going to surrender and ask for terms. Well, the problem was Joab wasn't sent there to surrender. He wasn't sent there to negotiate a peace. He was sent there to protect the borders of Israel. And he made a decision that didn't take a great deal of forethought. He said, we're here. We got the battle in front of us, the battle behind us. We're going to have to fight the battle that we face. We we can't fight the battle that we thought we were going to have to face. We, we cannot stop and reorganize. We cannot send for extra help. The battle is engaged. And while the swords were clanking, 
we have Joab reorganizing the field of battle, and all of a sudden they sound the charge, and the children of Israel begin running in both directions against the enemy. Scared the living daylights out of them. The Syrians are like, what are we going to do with these crazy guys? And after the front line went down in little pieces and they were coming on, there was panic set in and the Syrians fled. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians had fled and their plan had failed, they all ran back into the city and locked the gates. But the battle wasn't over yet. Well, that battle was, but the war wasn't over. I guess we could use that terminology. Because... We read on here, and, and it says, And when the children of Ammon, verse 14, saw that the Syrians were fled, they fled also before Abishai and entered into the city. So Joab returned from the children of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they were smitten before Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadarezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. That's the Euphrates River. And they came to Helam, and Shobak, the captain of the host of Hadarazer, went before them. And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over to Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the, the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 footmen and smote Shobak, the captain of their host, who died there. And when all the kings that were servants to Hadarazer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. So Joab and his men are going back to Jerusalem and they're going, God got us out of that one. And all of a sudden, now it's not just the Syrian mercenaries, it's the entire Syrian army. It's not just 30,000. They killed 40,000 of them. They had 700 chariots that died there. They didn't get all the chariots, I'll tell you this. These, this was a huge army, and David had a, a, a time here to mobilize the entire nation of Israel, and they met on a great battlefield just south of Damascus. And the Syrians lost. David fought the battle. This was a classic battle of two great armies just coming against each other on the field. And the Syrians lost. It says they made peace. And they became David's servants. Later on, you'll hear the king of Syria fighting against Ahab. And they lose the battle. And he says, I'm going to make you a, a street in Damascus with your name on it like our fathers did. He's talking about this battle right here. This is when David defeated the Syrians and took control of that entire area that went all the way up to the Euphrates River. You see, God gave a great victory. Now, I want us to go back through this thing a little bit. Some of you might remember several years ago, we had a battle in Iraq, and our Secretary of Defense was a man named Donald Rumsfeld. Does anybody remember Donald Rumsfeld? And, and he got just 
beat up and mauled in the press. Because he made a statement. He said, you have to fight the war with the soldiers you have, not the ones you wish you had. And part of the problem was, at that point, is we had some armor over there, but we had a bunch of Humvees, which in desert warfare was the main troop carriers for the little squads that went out, and they weren't armored. And our soldiers were dying. And they were criticizing Donald Rumsfeld because he simply said, listen, the war has started. We're getting the armored Humvees over there as fast as we can, but we cannot just let the Iraqi army do whatever they want. We've got to engage them, and some people are going to die here, and we've got to fight the battle with what we have. And we did, and we won was not a pleasant thought. But that's real life. And you see, real life is fighting the battles that are in front of you, not someone else's. It's standing your ground and not giving way to the devil just because he's played a trick on you or set a trap for you. How many of you know what the Bible says? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is, what's that next word? Common to man. You know what? The battles we face are not unusual or extraordinary. They're common. Uh, The devil doesn't have to use extraordinary uh, methods to entrap most of us now, does he? And the battles that we fight and the, the, the life that we try to live for Christ, we, we live in a time where the Bible is made fun of and real Christianity is scorned and, and even considered wicked when you simply obey the words of the Bible. Well, we're not changing our tactics or our service to the Lord to please the world. Amen? A lot of churches do. Well, we're, we're trying to build bridges. I'm not trying to build a bridge. I don't want to go to the world, do you? What we want to do is throw out the lifeline and pull them in. If you want a Christianity where you don't have to leave the world, You'll you'll have to go somewhere else than this book to find it. And we, we look at the world in which we live. We understand that the devil's greatest tool is intimidation because the devil cannot guarantee victory. What did Jesus say about his church? He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the devil can't destroy Jesus' church. That doesn't mean individual churches may or may not close their doors, but they're not going to stop Jesus' church as long as Jesus' church is obedient to Jesus Christ. Read the letters to the churches in Revelation and you'll see that. As hard as the devil has tried and as many lies as he's ensnared and destroyed, the devil has never taken a soul 
on its way to heaven and turned it around and put it on the road to hell. The devil's never done that. He's never won that battle. No, not once. But every Christian that goes to heaven was once on the road to hell and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and he turned them around and put them on the road to eternal life. Can we say amen to that? And yet, we do get weary in well-doing, do we not? We, we do reach a point. Sometimes, we sit there and we look at someone else and we say, Boy, I, I think I could be a help to that person. Well, I, I want to challenge you with something here. Verse 1 of the next chapter. I hope your Bibles are still open. 2 Samuel chapter 10. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Let's just read it here. And it came to pass after the year was expired that the time, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But... David tarried still at Jerusalem. You see, David had sent Joab. Joab walked into the trap. And here's what Joab said. Men, it's not very likely we're going to survive the day unless God performs a miracle. But let's die like men. And he divided his army in half and he went to it and God gave the victory. Amen. Then came the battle with the entire army of the Syrians and the entire army of Israel. And and it was a major conflict and God again gave the victory. And David said, it's over. Children of Ammon aren't getting any more help. Intimidation is now on our side. I'm going to send the, nation, the, the armies, and I, as the king, can take a little break. How many know what happened to David while his armies were besieging the children of Ammon? David lost his greatest battle. Because he thought the battle he was fighting had already been won. And and I want us to just stop and think as a church today. I, I don't know how many times I've said from this pulpit, what you do to get saved is how you live for God. How many of you remember the struggle, the battle that you fought against yourself? Against the lies of religion, against the deception of this world, against wanting to believe that you really weren't that bad. Until you accepted what the Bible said and got saved. How many people say amen? You remember that struggle? Well, let me tell you something. That's the first battle. When I get past myself and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how you get saved. Amen? 
But you know, as I'm looking out over the auditorium, we've had people here that have struggled with getting baptized and have fought those battles and won. Amen? Said, I'm going to surrender. I'm just going to do what the Bible says just because the Bible says so. Praise God. Another battle won. But guess what? Then comes living for God every day. Do you know that God delights in putting us as His servants in positions where we have no place to look except to Him? How many of you have ever been there? That's not a place you you really enjoy being most of the time now, is it? I mean, there's one problem with the battlefield. People on both sides die. Now, don't they? Uh, In a little over a month? Yes. Uh, About six weeks or so, we're hoping to take the men on a tour of the battlefield of Antietam in Maryland. One day's fighting. One day. From sunup to sundown. 23,000 men died in that one little battlefield that we're going to ride over. 23,000 who were alive in the morning had breathed their last before the sun set that day. I don't know about you, but that just befuddles my mind. I just, you just, you stop and think about all that carnage. All the children left fatherless, the widows. And it was just one day in a war that lasted almost five years. See, what happens is we're able to be of good courage when we see the battle and when we have it defined. But then we always like to take a break. What was it? McDonald's, you deserve a break today? Is that, isn't that it? Their little phrase? Of course, you take too many of those breaks and something else is going to break. You, right? Won't hurt you once in a while. But here is our struggle. Here is what we are up against. The devil loves to intimidate you. He loves to push people around. He loves to make us feel like we're inadequate and unable. Of course, we don't need the devil to tell us that. Jesus told us that. That's how you got saved. Amen? Well, that's how you fight the battles. Amen? Come on now. Don't quit now. We've got to start over again. You see, we understand the Christian life is warfare. We've got to fight the battles. But the ones that we've got to fight are the ones that belong to us. And the devil never plays fair. 
And the devil never quits. He doesn't need eight hours of sleep like you and I do. He, he doesn't need to take a rest. He knows what's happening to him. He's already received his death wound. He's just waiting for the end to happen. But here's what Joab said. He said, be of good courage. You know, we know what the Bible says, do we not? The devil cannot win unless you help him. He doesn't have the power on his own. Jesus took that away. That's what the cross was all about, my friend. That's why Jesus told the people he preaches, strive to enter in at the straight gate. There is a battle to be fought, but that's where it is, is the getting past myself that I would walk upon that narrow road. But who keeps me on that narrow road? Jesus does, doesn't he? Amen? And the challenge that I want us to look at here was Joab went to fight. The clarion call of our day. How many of you know what a clarion call is? That's why there's newspapers called the clarion. Uh, it, it is the overriding call of our day. Compromise. Negotiate. Let's make a deal. That, that is the clarion call of our day. I want to challenge you. That's the way of defeat and destruction. You, you cannot make a deal with the devil. You, you cannot negotiate with a lie. Joab understood what the battle was. He said, Let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. We, we have a shortage today. It's men. It, that, that's our shortage. Mother's Day's coming up. You know, Mother's Day is actually, if it isn't the biggest or largest celebrated holiday, at least at restaurants in New York City, uh, I, I don't know what is. Uh, it is... A highly celebrated day. Well, we got Father's Day coming up too. And uh, I often uh, misname it Missing Persons Day. uh, Because many times it simply is. We just got back from a men's meeting in in Oklahoma and, and it was a very good meeting. It's very difficult for very many of us to get there. And, uh, but here's the thing, is we have to fight the battles that are in front of us. And we have to fight the battle that is in front of us, not the one that we wish was in front of us. If you could just wish your enemy away, would it be a battle? 
No, he wouldn't. And we live in this world of virtual reality where everybody makes everything up and sometimes it gets hard to face what is really standing right in front of you. You know what? I don't think that I need to spend a whole lot of time telling those that are sitting in this auditorium the evil that they are facing because most of us are more than well acquainted with it. We, we know what we're facing. We know the temptations. We know where our weak spots are. We, we know what we have to fight. We say amen to that or oh me or yes sir. Or, that, that's where we are. But let's stop and think a minute. Who gives the victory? The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can the devil ever beat him? Absolutely not. There's no way. That is a really ridiculous question. The devil cannot win fighting the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why does the devil win so much in our lives? Because we're not hiding behind Christ. We're not walking the way that He wants us to. Could I challenge you? One more time. Well, it won't be one more time. One more time today. Now, please don't raise your hands because I don't want anybody being tempted to lie about it. But how many of you are taking this thing seriously? If you're not, let me tell you, you're losing the battle. Whether you believe you are or not, you're, you're losing the battle. Because this is one of the battles you've got to fight. If you'll fight reading your Bible, if you'll fight the battle of praying and surrendering to the Lord each day, you know what? You'll find the battle of people that get under your nerves is a whole uh, whole under your skin or get on your nerves is a whole lot easier to fight if you'll fight this one first. How many of you know that's true? Raise your hand. If we will fight the battle of spending time with the Lord, I promise you my sermons will be more interesting. You want me to tell you why? Not because my sermons are going to be any better, but because your heart is going to be tuned to the things of God's Word. See, that's how, that's how it works. I, I wish I was talking with someone this week, not in our church, having some real struggles. and I said, I, I just wish I could tell you something uh, really smart and, and, and uh, totally biblical that would just solve all your problems. And he's in the ministry as well, and he said, yeah, I know, it doesn't work that way. I said, you're right, it doesn't. You know how it works? You have to fight the battle that's in front of you. You have to fight the battles that God gives you. 
Because every battle that God gives you, I mean, Joab's statement here may not reflect a great deal of what we would really look for when we're looking for faith, all right? Joab was not the most spiritual guy. He just he, That just wasn't Joab. That wasn't who he was. But God had him in a place for a reason. Because when Joab was stuck in the middle of two armies... He said, I don't know about the rest of you boys, but I'm playing the man. How many of you are with me? Who? He said, if the Syrians are too strong for us, Abishai, you're going to have to give me some men and help us. If the Ammonites are too strong to you, he said, I want you guys to break off and run back and help Abishai. We're going to win this battle or there's not going to be one of us left. You know, that attitude is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. If thy right foot offend thee, cut it off. He's not talking about poking out your eye. Don't do that. That's the faith that Joab was illustrating right here. He said, let's play the men for the cities, for our people and the cities of our God. He said, and if God wants us to be the sacrifice on the field today, that's where we're going to be. But if he wants to give us the victory, we better make sure we're ready to walk into the victor's circle and stand. Amen. This morning, I just want us to, as a church, and as individuals, as fathers, mothers, as servants of God, as young people looking at your life, can I tell you, young person, you want to win the battle against immorality in our society? Start living pure today. You want to win the battle against cigarettes and addictions and all? Don't start. The best way to quit cigarettes is before you take the first puff. Amen? Adults, you don't have that opportunity. But guess what? Jesus is greater than any temptation you face. Don't try to fight someone else's battles. Jesus said to, John, to Peter about John, if I will that he tarry till I come. If he is going to live the life of ease till I come back and never do a thing. That's between me and John, not between you and John. You're going to follow me until the day you die. And your death is not going to be a nice one. Well, what we know about Peter, he followed Jesus. Can we say amen to that? What we know about Joab, not all of it's really good. But I'll tell you what, I like this verse. How about you? Be of good courage. The battle's not over. We haven't even gotten into it really good yet. Let's play the man.
And let's see what God will do. You see, God wasn't going to give the victory until after Joab and his men put everything on the line. Could I ask you one more question? Is that how you got saved? Did you finally put everything on the line? Surrender your entire life, your entire future, everything you ever hoped to be, ever wished you were. You surrender that to the Lord Jesus Christ the day you got saved. Can you say amen to that? Okay? The battle has not de-intensified. If anything, it's getting more intense. Why? Because you have some victories behind you. And God's going to give you some bigger battles to face so you can grow. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And so today, as we look at life, would you just ask the question, number one, Am I saved? If you're saved, that's battle number one. But the war's not over. If you're saved, next battle is, am I willing to submit to baptism and become a member of the church? That's the next step for the Christian. You say, but I'm saved and I'm baptized and I'm a member of the church. How many of you lost a battle since last week? Okay. How many of you are willing to stand up and take the Joab challenge? Be of good courage. Play the man. Play the woman. It's time to be the Christian that God designed me to be. And I'm going to let God have the outcome. But when God has the outcome... Who always wins? God does, doesn't he? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, we just I just ask as the pastor here, as I look at this sermon and look at these people sitting here today, and Lord, we have we have been through many battles together. But the war's not over. And Lord, I just ask that today you would encourage us. That you would use the words of Joab. 